Hey everybody, welcome back to Ask Me Anything. Uh, my name is Matt Love, I'm here with Pastor J.D. Greer, and this is the podcast where Pastor J.D. answers some of your toughest theological, ethical, and leadership questions. Um, our question today comes from one of our listeners named Linda, and she asked, do Jewish people go to heaven? And, and what about sincere people of other religions? And that's just such a great question. So, J.D., what do you think? Linda, thank you for that question. And there really is, I think there's two different questions there. Um, really kind of the bigger question is what about sincere people of every religion, but specifically the Jews? Because the Jews, for a while, I mean, the Hebrew religion was the only religion that God had given. And, um, you know, they were God's chosen people. So what about them specifically if they continue to be faithful Jews even if we separate it from the question of other religions, what about them specifically? You know, the apostles uh, very clearly taught from the beginning, preaching to Jews, that there was no other name that you could be saved through other than Jesus, Acts 4, 12. You know, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Jesus, John 14, 6, I am the way, speaking to Jews in a Jewish context. You know, his Jesus' interaction with Gentiles was very, very infrequent. So, you know, him saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, that's a, a statement to Jews. Um, you know, but that wasn't like a departure from the Jewish religion. Jesus taught it was a fulfillment of the Jewish religion. In fact, what the Apostle Paul explains in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4, is that Jews in the Old Testament were saved the same way that we're saved now. They just were saved by looking forward to the promise of the Messiah, and were saved by looking backwards at it. And you know, they believed that he was coming to um, – they didn't know all the specifics of how he would die for sin, but they knew that God was going to provide a Savior, that God was going to – that somehow God was going to restore his people to himself and that he was ultimately responsible for their salvation, restoration, and forgiveness. We are saved, Paul says, by believing that God did keep his promise and that Jesus was the fulfillment of that. Um, but an important thing that Paul points out is that not every Jew actually believed that promise from the heart. And that's another of his points in Romans 9 and 11, is that not everyone who is ethnically of Israel is of the true Israel. And Paul says of the two, it's more important to be someone who inherited Abraham's faith than it is Abraham's DNA. So Esau and Jacob are the easy example. Here you got two people, both of them are the sons of Isaac, and one of them, Esau, um, is not a believer, trades his the inheritance for you know the lust of the flesh, and then you've got Jacob, who does, even though he starts out as a scoundrel, he does ultimately embrace the promise. And Paul is going to say that that's represented, that's kind of the two groups of Israel. In every family, in every Jewish city, there's always two. There's those who really believe the promise, they're circumcised in their heart, and those who didn't actually believe the promise. Well, when you get to the time of Jesus, Paul would explain that those Jews who truly had the faith of Abraham, who truly were regenerated, who had the circumcised heart, they recognized Jesus as the Messiah. They saw it and they understood and they believed. And the ones who had the uncircumcised heart, well, they they were the ones who rejected Jesus. So it wasn't that they were saved and then suddenly weren't saved. It's that the fact that they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah shows that they were never really saved to begin with. And so today, here we are 2,000 years later, you would say essentially the same thing, is that a mark, a mark of whether or not you're truly born from above is that you recognize that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, that's one of the reasons John the apostle says that in 1 John. You know, this is how you know that you're born of God. You recognize Jesus as the Christ. To us, it, you know, in, in our context, it's almost a little like, I'm not really sure what point he's making, but to a Jewish context, it made a lot of sense. He's like, 
This shows that your Judaism was a Judaism, not of the flesh, but a Judaism of the heart, because you recognize that Jesus was who he says he was. And so, um, you know, now again, 2000 years later, it, it is the sign of whether you're born again, if you're in the Jewish faith is, do you recognize that Jesus was the fulfillment of those promises? But let's kind of step back, Linda, to the bigger question um, of just what about sincere people in every religion? Because a lot of people hear this is unfair. And previously, I didn't ask me anything. We've talked about, you know, exclusivity, the exclusivity of Christ and how that's fair. I'm not going to get all into that. And you might want to go back and listen to, to that one. But um, it's still a, a very pressing question. What about people who are following as best they can the things that, you know, they see and, and create? They're trying to be the, the best person they can. Um, theologians have generally had five different approaches to this. And I don't mean like they're all equally valid, or I wouldn't even say they're all Christian. The first one is what we call universalism, and that's the belief that God reveals himself to everybody just in different ways. And usually the idea is as long as you, you know, aren't a, a murderer or a child molester or something, as long as you are somebody who responds generally positively toward goodness, then you're going to be saved because there are many roads that get to heaven and God's like a the proverbial elephant and we all experience a different part of them and we just got to combine our knowledge. That's universalism. Then you got pluralism. And that is that there really is only one God and everybody essentially believes in the same God. He just has different names. And uh, again, you know, it's, it's, it's a variation of universalism. It's just, you know, we're all ultimately striving in the darkness for goodness. And um, a, a third one is inclusivism. And that's the idea that Jesus really is the only way but faithful believers of any faith who are responding to the Christ-like element, some would say, in that religion, that they're saved. Um, inclusivism is that people are only saved through Jesus, but how they get to Jesus, they may not know his name. Then you've got um, a, a variation of that called the anonymous Christian. That's developed by a Roman Catholic named Karl Rahner. And he said, a person may not claim to be a Christian, but they might, I mean, they, just, they might, I mean, they might see in Muhammad, they might see the the, the, the good things that he taught and the, and the peaceable way that, you know, he, he taught certain people to live and forget the violent parts and forget the, uh, the corruption, but you, you just identify the good and you love that. And so you, you end up being a Christian because you believe Christian things, even though you don't know the name of Christ and even though you wouldn't identify uh, yourself as a Christian. And so God counts you as a Christian. Um, there are people who have believed uh, things like this that you and I would respect. C.S. Lewis was one of them. At the end of The Last Battle, which is the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, C.S. Lewis describes um, I, there was a, a follower of a different religion. I think his name was Tosh, I feel like. But um, he uh, he was there in heaven and all the followers of, you know, Aslan are like, what is he doing here? You know, and he's like, well, he, he followed me when I revealed myself in that other religion. And so now he's here. But even though people that I love and respect like C.S. Lewis, you know, have indicated this as a possibility, um, I, I just can't biblically get there. In fact, I think the Bible pretty clearly, you know, points us the other direction. You know, there's a, a story in the Bible about a guy named Cornelius. His story is, appears in Acts 10. And if ever there were an anonymous Christian, um, I think it would be Cornelius because Acts 10 specifically says at the beginning of the chapter that he, you know, that he, he, he worshiped with sincerity and he did a lot of good things for people in the Jewish religion and the Christian religion. And, but he, he didn't know how to believe in Jesus. And so an angel appears to him and says, Hey, go send for Peter because Peter will tell you how you can be saved. 
Not Peter will announce to you that you're already saved, but they'll tell you how you can be saved. So Peter and him get together, make a long story short, and Peter basically preaches to him. In Acts 10, the end of that chapter says that while the word was still in Peter's mouth, while he was preaching the gospel, that's when Cornelius was saved and he was baptized with the Spirit. Um, you know, had it been had Cornelius been an anonymous Christian, which again, if there was an anonymous Christian, it would have been Cornelius. Um, I think Peter would have gone over and said, "Hey, just want to you know, congratulate you." God counts you as a Christian, and I'm here to, to fill in the names and the gaps of, of what you don't know. Um, so I, I just don't see how you can get around the fact that, that, that the only way to be saved is through a conscious faith in Jesus Christ because Cornelius demonstrates that. It's only when he hears the message and believes it. What the story does tell me is that if there is somebody in one of these other religions that God has what, done whatever miracle in their heart is necessary for them to really seek God, um, and they really are responding in the right way, it shows you that God would send a Peter to them. He, he will, God will do whatever miraculous thing is necessary to get his messenger there. In fact, I often tell our church, maybe the reason that God is moving in some of you now here is because he's moving in some Cornelius there and, um, and, that, and that he is stirring you to go because he has stirred in them to ask. Um, so that's what I think we learned from the story of Cornelius. I will also say, though, just to, to really try to be faithful to what the book of Romans teaches. The book of Romans teaches that all of us have responded wrongly to God. So even the idea that there's a bunch of Corneliuses out there that are seeking God, I mean, really what the book of Romans teaches is that only through the preaching of the gospel is our heart awakened to want to know God. Faith, Paul says, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It says you hear it. Uh, I've often described it like, you know, giving somebody who's clinically insane some kind of serum that wakes them up. The preaching of the gospel does that. It's not like you get woken up and then go in search of the gospel. It's that God uses the preaching of the gospel to wake you up. Paul, Paul's summary of the entire human race is Romans 3.10. There's none that does righteousness. There's none who seeks God, not even one. And so the preaching of the gospel is the means by which God uh, wakes people up. So that's why I can't do the, um, the anonymous Christian. So the fifth kind of alternative is what we call post-mortem evangelism. That's the idea that after we die, God gives us another chance. Now that we've you know seen everything and we've woken up from our foolishness, he preaches the gospel and everybody's like, of course, let's, let's be saved. Um, there's even a, a reference in um, yeah, the book of Jude where it says that Jesus, it seems to say that Jesus went and preached to those who were in prison, meaning like he preached to the spirits who had died and preached the gospel to them. Let me start with that verse in particular. What that really says is that Jesus preached to the spirits who are now in prison, but he preached to them through Noah when they were alive on the earth. It doesn't mean that he went after death and that three days between when he died, and when he rose again, he went down and preached to people in hell and liberated it. It means that he was preaching through Noah during the time that they were alive. Um, you know, the Bible indicates that really the only chance we have to be saved is now. It's the only time we have to put faith in Christ. Um, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then after that, the judgment. Furthermore, um, there's really nothing about just going into eternity that would wake you up. Your heart has to be regenerated, has to be made alive. And, you know, uh, Jesus said, if you weren't you know, persuaded by the evidence for the resurrection now, you wouldn't be persuaded if you actually physically saw it with your eyes. And so the idea that somehow we get into heaven and just wise up, you know, it, it takes more than just fear or awareness to be saved. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit and that same power of the Holy Spirit is at work now in the gospel through the preaching. And if you don't respond to it here, there's nothing that proves you would respond to it there. Now, Linda, I'll be honest with you. I would love love to be wrong about that. 
If we get to heaven and I find out that I overlooked something, there's nobody that's going to be happier about that than me. Uh, I would be delighted. Uh, But just based on what I see in the Bible now, I just don't see that the Bible points us to any hope of salvation other than conscious faith in Christ during the, the time that we are living. Unless as a baby or a mentally challenged person, you just didn't have the capacity to be able to understand what was being taught to you. Uh, that all of us have have seen enough evidence of God that we've rejected it and that the gospel is our only hope. And so that's th- that's that's what I'm where I'm going to stand and it's what I'm going to preach. Um, I will say that when you look at kind of the whole logic of salvation, what God is trying to do, um, what what God seems to be doing is is bringing himself glory through salvation. Romans three said God did it. You know, God provided salvation through the cross so that he could vindicate himself as both just the one who punishes for sin and the justifier, the one who graciously gives salvation so that his name would be known that way. Um, It's, you know, Romans chapter nine says that that God, God has set up salvation the way that it is so that we on earth would would marvel at his mercy. And then everything he does is for that purpose. The prophet Isaiah said that God would send salvation in a way that his name would be great on the earth. And we would know that salvation belongs only to God, that God is the only one capable of it. And so if God saves people anonymously and or if he, you know, he, there's multiple ways or he does it after death, then that kind of defeats the purpose of God's name being glorified on earth. So all, all that to say is for, for those reasons, I, I, I hold to what John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, that whosoever will can come, but only those who come to Jesus can do that. And what that does, Linda, is it, it humbles me and it's, it puts, it increases the burden that you and I have to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. We've only got one life and we're responsible. It's like Keith Green, the Christian singer of the 1970s used to always say, um, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls all over the world. And if that is the truth about people that they have to, to hear about Jesus to be saved, it makes us ask, what are we doing with our lives? And are we leveraging our time, our treasure, and our talents to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? Because that has to be priority one for every Christian and for the church. Thank you so much, JD. I hope Linda and others feel just a greater clarity on this topic because of that that answer. If these 10 or 15 minutes are not enough and you want to hear more from Pastor JD, please tune in to Summit Life with Pastor JD. The Summit Life broadcast is a daily 25-minute program with Pastor JD where he shares biblical truths in a longer format that inspire listeners to have daily encounters with Jesus and his transformative grace. It airs on hundreds of radio stations around the country, but also as a podcast. So if you're listening to this, you can literally find Summit Life Podcast right here on the same app. You can listen on the same platform that you're using to listen to us right now, or you can find it at jdgreer.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.